some things in the book of Revelation. Uh, on Wednesday, I had talked about being grateful, and this morning we were kind of looking at what it looks like when you're backslidden and, and not right with God, and some of the repercussions that can come with that. But I, I kind of want to look forward this evening and and just kind of take some time to look at where where we're going to be when uh, when we either pass away or when the Lord calls us out. So look at Revelation chapter 21. In case you don't know where to find it, that's the last book in the Bible. Verse 1, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. I'm looking forward to that day. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for, uh, thank you for the folks that came back out tonight, and I just pray that you'll uh, be with my mouth, and, and I pray that you'll, you'll give them something from your word. Um, as I already mentioned, I'm not going to be yelling or stomping, but but I, I sure do hope that they get something from this. And you know, if anything, it just, I hope it just kind of gets them focused on on what's coming in the future, Lord. I I pray that you'll be honored and and glorified here this evening, and and uh, just I pray that you'll direct me, and and uh, I just pray that you'll be you'll be lifted up. We pray this in your name, Amen. All right, so, so one of the things I want to just draw your attention to right out of the gate here is in verse number 2. It says, And I, John, saw the holy city. I don't know if you guys can think of any city that is holy in this world, but there, <laughs> there isn't one. And even though they may call Jerusalem the holy city, uh, it, Jerusalem right now is not a holy city. Uh, actually, it's very far from it. Uh, Israel has some of the most wicked cities in the world. You look at Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is yeah. is uh, full of, of abominations. And but 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 when we when we look at this verse, God calls the New Jerusalem a holy city. They're complete opposites currently. All right, and, and you got to think even under the reign of King David. Jerusalem was not a holy city. Why? Well, because it was full of sinners. But, but one day we're going we're gonna to come to a point where, where that, that new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven, there's going to be no, there's no sinners there. there. There's no sin at all. It is a holy city. I, I find it interesting in the passage, one of the ways that, that God begins to describe this city to us is not by, not by first focusing on all of the the, the beautiful things about it. Okay, one of the, the, the first ways he, first things he focuses on is what's not going to be there. Because that's the kind of stuff that we're familiar with in this world. Look, look at verse 4 there. It says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now, so this, this city here, this city comes down out of heaven. 
Sometimes when we think about eternity, right, we, we think of the New Jerusalem, but New Jerusalem is not heaven itself. It comes down out of heaven. And it's going to be difficult for me to, to try to put into words uh, what this city looks like. I, I wish I could draw uh, because I feel like some sort of visual representation would be the best way to try to absorb it, but, but even then it would fall way too short uh, compared to, to what it's really going to look like. But, but God does go into a physical description, and, and hopefully I'll be able to try to paint a picture for you. But, but the first thing he says is that, look, there's, gonna, there's a bunch of things you're familiar with in this life, that pain, that sorrow, those tears. You guys, those things are not going to be there, and, and we are not that far away from it. The, verses 1 through 8 really goes into the, the quality of life in this city, but I want to look at the, the physical description here. In verse number 9, let's look at it. It says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a great wall and high and had twelve gates and at the gates twelve angels. So there's an angel on each of these gates and names written thereon which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. So each one of these gates gets one of the, the names of the tribes of, of Israel on the, verse 13, on the east three gates, and on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in, in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with, and he that talked with me get, uh, had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the height, or and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof in 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was, uh, was, was jasper, and the city was pure gold, likened to clear glass. You, you guys, the physicists nowadays, they, they wouldn't even tell you that that's physically possible. Gold can't be clear. It can't be transparent. Even the most pure gold we have doesn't even come close to the type of gold that this city has. The foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the, I might pronounce some of these wrong, the third chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth the sardonyx, the sixth the sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the, uh, the ninth a topaz, the, the tenth chrys, uh, that thing, <laughs> the eleventh, adjacent, the twelfth, and ameth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve uh, pearls. Every every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. 
And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So, when we we look here in uh, in verse number 9, the marriage supper of the Lamb has already taken place because we see that it says... At the end of verse 9, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. Lexi was my bride when we weren't married, but when we got married, she became my wife. Right? And, and it appears, I want to I wanna just kind of give you a thought today. Now, when we get done with this, if you disagree with me, I'm not going to argue with you. Okay? I really don't care. And, and uh, honestly, what, you know, if Pastor Mike gets up here when we go through the series on Revelation, and he publicly corrects me and... And says the complete opposite. I'm going to say, yeah, "Let God be true, and every man a liar." All right. But I, I want to, I want to try to try to. I want to throw the idea out to you that the New Jerusalem could possibly be here in just a few short years. I, up up to, uh, or I should say, for for quite a while, I ha- I had the idea that the New Jerusalem was going to be here at the end of the thousand year reign. But the more I looked into it, and the more I looked at some of these verses, I thought, you know what, there, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. It, it, it looks to me like it's going to be here at the start of the thousand-year reign. Now, now, this is the start of e- eternity here in chapter 21. It, so maybe it, se- it might seem strange to you that come verse 9, John would rewind a thousand years back to the start of the millennium. Uh, but the book of Revelation it, it is it's a lot it's similar to the book of Daniel. If you've ever read Daniel, what one chapter is about Daniel experiencing things right then in the moment, and then the next chapter something in the near future. Uh, Daniel eight uh, speaks about the the little horn Alexander the Great uh, conquers, and 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 his kingdom is then divided into four, and out of uh, one of those comes a little horn, and he conquers. But but he's describing then a, a man. Uh, named Antiochus Epiphanes. But then when you go into the second half of that chapter, of chapter 8 in Daniel, he he jumps 2,500 years into the future and starts talking about the Antichrist in almost the exact same way that he described in the previous chapter. So we have to be careful when it comes to books of prophecy, and this is one of the reasons I won't argue with you, uh, because there's a lot of things that we just aren't going to know until we get there. Um, but, but I think it, we should do our, our due diligence and, and try to do our best to rightly divide the Word of God and, and learn as much as we can um, and just kind of take some time to look, to look at these verses on, on the New Jerusalem. So, here in, in Revelation, it jumps back and forth quite a bit. This is common in the books of prophecy. You also see this a lot in the book of um, Isaiah, the book of Revelation here does the same thing. Uh, for example, in, 
uh, uh, John here in chapter one, he, you know, he's on the, he's, it starts on the, and he's on the island of Patmos, right? And, and he gets this vision, um, and he's, he's lifted up, and, and he's shown the, these, these prophecies, um, and he's shown, uh, well, he's, he's writing the book to seven churches at that time, right? And we know, historically, those were seven churches that existed at that time. That book went out to those seven churches, but we also know that those seven churches represent the progress of the church, the church age, all, all throughout these last 2,000 years. And so we've got to be really uh, careful when we look at these things. But in Revelation 4, John writes about being caught up to uh, heaven, which is a type of the rapture, as we all know. And all of a sudden, from being there in the first century, he's now 2,000 years in the future. In chapter 4 through 5, you're in heaven, but then in chapter 6, he comes back to the earth, and it goes through the story of the tribulation, but then it, it goes through the story of the tribulation a few times. 6 through 7, you go through the story of the tribulation, but then uh, 8, 9, 10, and 11, you see the story of the tribulation again. When you, when you come to chapters 12, 13, and 14, God, God takes a step back at that point, and, and he shows you the not just the story of the tribulation, but he rewinds all the way to the, back to the birth of Christ. And then it, the, the, the whole point of 12, 13, and 14 is to give you like this overarching storyline and to, to give you all the characters that are in play at that time. 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, the story of the tribulation again. The, the point is, is that when we come to Revelation chapter 21, we shouldn't think it strange that in verse number 1, he tells us, he gives us a tiny little glimpse about eternity, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first Heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. But then, come to nine verses later, don't think it's strange that he could go back and describe something that appears at the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ. So, we've looked at uh, a few of these verses so far. We've looked up all the way basically through, well, we, we read the whole chapter, but all these verses up through verse like 13, it sounds... It sounds like a really kind of Jewish message so far. I mean, you're looking at the city and there's these, you know, 12 angel, angels and these 12 tribes, these gates that have the names of the 12 tribes on them. Uh, it seems like a very uh, Jewish city, but what I find interesting, if you want an interesting cross-reference to study on your own, you can go all the way back to, to the, um, to the uh, book of Genesis, and you'll see there uh, when when Abraham sends out his servant to find a bride for his, for his son Isaac, the servant comes back with a bride. They get married, and they dwell in Abraham, the father's wife's tent. So Sarah, the, the wife of Abraham, um, when, when, when the servant goes out to find a bride... For the Son, are you following? Just, at, just as the Holy Spirit went out to try to find a bride for Jesus Christ, when, when they brought them back, they dwell in the, the, the bride of Abraham, who had been deceased at, the, at that time. They, they dwell in her tent. So don't, don't think it a strange thing that we, as a Gentile people, get to partake in something as, as Jewish as this. 
So I, I want to look at some, some verses here. Chapter 19, it, it's right at the end of, of the tribulation, and, and we are not yet married to, to Christ. Uh, if, if we look at verses 7 through 8 in chapter 19, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he, sa- uh, and he saith unto me, verse 9, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These, uh, these are the true sayings of God. So, we know how Christ comes back and he conquers the Antichrist and he sets up his kingdom on earth. And when you read Ezekiel and you read other prophets, you see that David, though, is on the throne in Jerusalem here on earth. David is on the throne in the earthly Jerusalem that's to come. So I've got a question for you. Where is, where is Jesus Christ's throne? Well, I dare say it's in the new Jerusalem. Let's look at a few verses here. I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, please. So Hebrews chapter 12, we all know that Hebrews is written to who? The Hebrews, the Jews, correct? book of Hebrews is written to the Jews, and I'm telling you right now, it's going to be as precious to the Jews as books like 1 Thessalonians or, or John or, or any other book that's written right now to us directly. It's, the book of Hebrews is going to be just as important and precious to them as these other books are to us. We get excited about reading about things that are going to shortly take place. At least, I hope you get excited about them. Uh, and likewise, the Hebrews are going to get excited for the very same reasons. We need to view Hebrews from the perspective of the Jew in the tribulation. There's a certain point in the tribulation where the, the Jews are going to flee. That's found in, in Revelation uh, verse, or chapter 12, where it says that they flee to the wilderness. When that, that dragon pursues, or the dragon or the beast, I forget which one specifically, and there is, there is a difference, um, but when, when the devil, if you will, Antichrist pursues them, uh, they flee to the wilderness. The dragon lets out that flood of waters to try to kill them. And the Lord opens the earth up, swallows those waters, and protects the Jews. But they flee to the wilderness. And, and here, um, in the book of Hebrews, God is reminding them of the great sin that they committed in the past. When they were in the wilderness. Remember, when they were in the wilderness the first time, you guys, God had brought them out of Egypt and into the wilderness, and their great sin was to not trust the Lord to deliver them, not believe God, not to move when they said, when He said move. He, he told them at Kadesh Barea to go into the land, but they saw the obstacles there, if you remember, they saw the giants. They thought it was something that they couldn't do, and, and they got afraid. They refused to budge. God said, okay, because of your unbelief, you're not going into this land. 
But in Hebrews chapter uh, 3 and 4, God, God spends some time to, to remind them about that mistake that they made. God takes the time to uh, bring their attention to the mistakes that they made in the past, similar to what we did this morning in, in this morning's message. I think the, the tribulation is going to, when, when they're in the tribulation, this book is going to hit different to them. I mean, this book is going to, it's going to strike a nerve with them because of the, the, the similar situation that they'll be in. He takes two chapters to remind them of their failure last time they were in the wilderness. And their great failure was that fear caused them to doubt God. And if they had just stepped out in faith, God would have protected them. You guys, they're really going to need that in the tribulation. Chapter uh, 3, hold on, let's look at that real quick. Chapter 3, verse 18, or no, wait. I think it's Revelation 3, unless I got a dead reference. good verse too. I mean, they're all good verses, but yeah. Okay, yeah, chapter yeah, chapter 3, verse 18. I, got, I must have turned to a different verse at the start. It says, And to whom he swear that they should not enter into, this re- into his rest, but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Hebrews 4, verse 1, Let us therefore fear, he's talking to the Jews, remember, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. So in the tribulation, they have to muster up the same kind of faith that God told them to have back in the wilderness. Faith to fear the Lord over the Antichrist. And as a result, God will lead them into rest into the the seventh millennium the the seventh day the day of rest you guys remember in the in the wilderness the the first time god didn't god didn't bring them out there into the wilderness to just then say okay go and you know have fun you know enjoy yourselves enjoy your life no god god was in the process of bringing them physically to himself do you remember where god was at when he did that Mount Sinai, where God abode in that mountain. He, he brought them to the mount of God, to Mount Sinai, that holy mount. Their first experience with God after years of silence. Do you see the parallels to, to the, the state that they'll be in in the tribulation? After years of silence, God brought them to himself. And, and all they had were the promises of God up to that point. God had been silent. They had the promises of the fathers before him, but, but nothing in that moment. And it's, it's there where God spoke to them for the first time in their history as a nation. God reminds them of this in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. says, For ye are not come 
unto the mount that might... So unlike the first time, you guys, where it was a physical mountain, that physical mount, Mount Sinai, he says now in, in Hebrews 12, verse 18, for ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, unlike it was in the, in the Old Testament, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest. So, so God, God's telling him, hey, the first time it was a physical mountain, right? And, and, and I told you that that was a mountain that couldn't be touched. Hey, this time you're coming onto a physical mountain as well, but, but there, there's a little bit of difference between this one and the one, the one that was back there in the Old Testament, Mount Sinai. The first time they were brought out of captivity, out of the, the domination of type of the Antichrist, out of the domination of Pharaoh, God, just like he's going to do with the Antichrist, killed Pharaoh, killed his armies, destroyed that kingdom, and brought Israel out of bondage and, and to himself. For the, the, the first time, it was a, a mountain you could, you could physically touch but weren't supposed to or you'd be killed. It burned with fire. It was a terrifying experience. You can read about it in Exodus. What else did they encounter back then? Verse 19, And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice uh, they, had, they that heard entreated that, they, that, they were, uh, that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. The, the sound of it was the frightening. Their first experience with God was a frightening one. God didn't speak sweet nothings in their ears. Okay, there was a fear that he had to instill into them. They were a, a newborn babe, if you will. I don't know any father who in their right mind wouldn't you know, see their child going to touch the stove and say, don't touch that, right? Livni, my cute little Livni, she has to fear me more than she fears that stove. Otherwise, when I say stop and she doesn't stop, she's going to get hurt. And this is the exact same kind of thing that God did with the people of Israel in the beginning. And as they grow, then that perfect love casteth out fear. And we're going to see this transformation of Israel when that new heaven and new earth come. When that millennial kingdom starts. The, the first encounter was fire and smoke. And God said, don't, don't come too close. Only one, you guys, only one high priest, and, and even then, one, only once a year was able to get close to God. It, it wasn't this, you know, come unto, unto me, all ye that are, you know, labor and are heavy laden, and I shall give you rest. That, that wasn't the, the, the approach that God had with the people. And, and, I mean, we hear it all the time. I think we take it for granted, but the Jews have never, they've never had that. They're, they're going to meet God in the tribulation in a similar way how he met them in the Old Testament. I mean, verse 21 there in Hebrews says, And so was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. And Moses had been meeting with God. But even the meetings he had with God did not compare to the, the fear that was present in this moment when God was on that mountain. Even Moses had said, I exceedingly fear and quake. That's, that's trembling physically shaking from the fear. Verse 22, but, so we're in the New Testament, right? We're in Hebrews chapter 12, talking to the Jew in the tribulation, but ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly 
Jerusalem. Do you see that? And to an innumerable company of angels. Verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Christian, we are there waiting for them. Which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that, uh, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. And, and, and then look at verse 25. This is God's, this is, or this is Paul, God's, but also Paul's advice to the Jews during that time. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shall uh, I, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be, re- cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So, so it, you get a glimpse in this chapter here of the the red carpet that God has for the Jews who go through the tribulation. And it it seems to me, I don't know about you, but it seems to me that the earth doesn't have to wait for the new Jerusalem to end, for, for the millennial to end to see that heavenly Jerusalem. He said it right there in verse 22. You're com- he, they come into the wilderness, you're coming to the Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God. There at that last moment when they think all hope is lost and they look up to Christ and they acknowledge, hey, this is him who we had pierced. And, and right then and there, that millennial kingdom, God comes down with all his saints, with that heavenly Jerusalem, with an innumerable company of angels. And that thousand years of peace begins. Let's go back to, back to Revelation chapter 21. Just a couple other things here, and then I, just for fun, I want to look at the dimensions of the New Jerusalem. But just a couple other things. Revelation chapter 21. Verse 24, it says, "And the nations." Of them, we're talking about the New Jerusalem here, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And then uh, chapter 22, verse 2 says, In the midst uh, of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was, uh, there was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing. Of the nations. Wait, what? I was under the impression that eternity is a, a perfect and, and spotless place. I mean, you're, you're looking at the verse for the healing of the nations. What are you, what are you needing to be healed from? What, I thought there was no more pain and, and no more sickness and, and no more death. You, you look at verse uh, 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter into the uh, in through the gate, gates into the city. 
And look, and look at this. Look at verse 15. For without, outside, for without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Do, do these things all exist in eternity future? I don't think they do. I mean, I, technically, I guess, I mean, we won't really know. But from what I've seen, none of that stuff exists in eternity future. But they certainly exist in the millennial reign of Christ. All, all of you, people, we think of the millennial reign of Christ and that it's perfect and everything. But, it, but it's, I mean, it'll be perfect for us, certainly. But it's not perfect for everybody because at the end of that, the Antichrist is lo- the devil's loosed. And he goes up and he rounds up all the rebellious nations to come and attack the city. At that point, God then wipes them out with a fire. And then moving forward, yeah, then there's no more pain, no more tears. So, so I just wanted to give you, give you that thought real quick about the, the new Jerusalem. And maybe everybody thought that, that it, was, it shows up at the start of the, the thousand years, but, but I hadn't. But then looking at some of these verses, I'm like, wait a minute. I mean, how, how does this... It didn't really make sense to me. And now, like I said, when pastor gets up here and preaches, maybe there's something really simple I missed. Um, but it seems to me the, the, the Jews, when they're going through that tribulation, they look up and they see that heavenly city coming down with Jesus Christ, with his angels, and with the saints of God. Um, so now I, I want to take just a second to kind of go over these d- dimensions, the, the size of the city, which I think is pretty cool, and then we'll be done, all right? I'll try to keep it short here. Um, but let's... Uh, Let's read some of those dimensions again. So verse 15 in chapter 21 of Revelation says, And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth foursquare, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs, 1,500 miles the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. Okay, so I had to kind of do some math for this, all right? So I might lose some of you. Maybe I've already lost you up to this point. Maybe I didn't explain some of these verses well enough we were going through. But uh, now now if you hate math, now I'll definitely lose you, okay? Um, But I'm not going to go through all the different equations. You know, they're pretty simple equations. but, But I'll just kind of give you some of the results, all right? Now, we're going to start off pretty, uh, I don't want to say lame, because if it turns out to be that way, then it's like, oh, sorry, God. Uh, but, but kind of lame. Uh, let's assume the mansions that are there only have a, a ceiling height of about 10 feet, okay? That's not, that's not really crazy for a, a mansion, you know? I, I've seen mansions, with, I mean, you, you get 20-foot ceilings in, in some of those things. Um, with 10-foot ceilings... And just, let's just throw out there 250,000 square feet for a mansion. Does that sound good to you? I don't, I don't know how big your home is. I, I, I don't even know what, how big my home is, actually. Um, it's, you know, it's got, it, it's got one of those old school Michigan, you know, basements. It's the big boulders. The, it leaks and everything. There's, you know, every spring there's a flood in the basement. You could go swimming if you wanted. Um, but but it's, a, it's an old little farmhouse, right? And there's the... There's the kitchen and the, the main, you know, the, the living room. There's a little office. And then upstairs, it's, it's these like four tiny little box, box rooms. It's, it's the old school kind of farmhouse. It was small. It was, it was built before 1900. The original part of the house was. Um, 
And so, look, 250,000 square feet, that would be pretty crazy. If, if ceilings were 10, 10 feet tall, 250,000 square feet per mansion, based off the dimensions God gave us, you could fit 250,900,000 mansions per floor. Per floor, that comes out to 198 trillion mansions. Okay, so now you've got to think, well, hold on a second. We definitely know, for one, there's never been that many people alive. There's not going to be that many mansions. So you've got to start thinking, well, how many people have ever been saved, right? Like, how many people are going to be in this city? And, and really, that's, that's an answer I, I can't really give to you. But up until 1800, I mean, coming up to 1800, there was only about a billion people alive at that time. Right now, we're at, like, did we just cross the 8 billion threshold? I think we did. Um, we're close to it or getting up there, 7, seven point something. And, and if you look at the population of the earth on a chart, it's 200 years ago we were at 1 billion, and now, and now we're at 8 billion. We're starting that, that exponential population rise, right? And, you know, of course, the, they've got all their, you know, the UN and all of that say, oh, we can't sustain this and all that. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, in a sinful world, yeah, it's probably true. Um, but but oh, there really has not been that many people alive um, up until this point. And so I can't imagine there, there's going to be any more than a few hundred million. I mean, let's just, for the sake of it, say a billion people saved max. I, I, I mean, even during the Great Awakening, I, I, both of them, I don't know how many people got saved, but it, it wouldn't be a billion people. There wasn't even a billion people on the planet. So there, there's not going to be 198 trillion mansions, right? So, so we gotta, we got we to gotta ramp this number up a little bit, all right? We've we got to try to uh, see how big we can get these mansions, just for the fun of it, all right? Um, now, I don't go all the way with it, but, but if, if, if each floor, instead of 10 feet, right? Let's say each floor of this heavenly city, which could be a cube, could be a pyramid, could be a double pyramid, like a diamond. There's a, a few different options, but it says that the, the length is as long as the breadth, as, as long as the height. So there's not really a whole lot of shapes that, that you can come up with that, um, other, other than those few shapes. So if, if each floor was one mile, so we just want to jump from 10 feet to a mile, okay? If each floor is a mile high, for one, there'd be 1,500 floors, because right? it's 1,500 miles long, wide, and tall. So 1,500 floors, each a mile high, that's pretty crazy. But even at, at, at that number, 100 billion mansions at 1 million square feet each. Bi- and, and even 100 billion, you guys, there's nowhere close to that many people that have been saved throughout history. So, so when, when God tells us, look, um, and he tells us in, um, I'm trying to remember, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, he, he tells us that I hath not seen, neither hath ear heard, neither hath, uh, hath entered into the heart of man the things which the Lord hath prepared for him. I botched, I botched the quote, right? But... 
But he told you, look, you can't, you can't comprehend this. This city is going to be so stinking amazing. It is going to be beautiful. I mean, the description of it here in this chapter, the, the, it shines like glass, man. The, the gold is so pure. There, you got the, the in, in chapter 22 there, in verse 1, it says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. So, so there's this river coming down to, to, to nourish and, and, and flood this in, entire city with, with life. The, the, the foundations and the walls, they have the, these jewels all over them. And, and none of these jewels are like solid, you know, dull colors. They're jewels that, that shine brilliantly when light passes through them. Can you imagine what kind of spectacle that would that would, that would look like in, in the sky. I mean, the, the rainbows and the colors. I mean, you got to think, a, a 1,500-mile-long city. I, I want you to try to picture this in your mind's eye. You're walking up to the city. They, they say that if you could, if, if the horizon was flat, uh, far, you know, the ocean, uh, uh, a field of, you know, corn or something like that, horizon's pretty flat, you could see about three miles until everything starts to fade off, right? Three. This city's 1,500 miles long. So you got a picture, this wall that is a few hundred feet, if you're even close to the wall, you can't even see the, the city behind it. So you got to step back a ways, a ways. But you step back, you're coming up to it. Uh, man, you, you look this way, the, the city leaves your view. 1,500 miles is from here all the way to Cuba. Do you, you, can't, you, you, could, you could walk 200 miles and you still can't see the end of the city. Walk another 200 miles and you still can't see the city. This thing is huge. And what's amazing to me is that God has taken the time to personally, personally craft something. For us to craft this mansion for us. I don't know how many of you. How many of you have visited a mansion before, like a real mansion? I was on a vacation, and I'm I'm closing with this. But I was on a vacation in uh, I think it was Asheville, North Carolina, and it was uh, we we visited the Biltmore Estate. You can go in and you take you can take a tour of it. But this mansion is it, it costs about three hundred million dollars. It's only 175,000 square feet. It's got nothing on what we're going to get. But 175,000 square feet. It, first of all, it was like a maze. You never knew where you were at any point. But the thing was immaculate. It had 200 or 300 something rooms in it. I mean, you, you walk into one of their like eight parlors, <laughs> one of their eight tea rooms, and, and you go up to the wall and, and you see the Every single detail, the, the trim work and the, it wasn't, it wasn't like modern day contemporary, you know, these modern households that are, uh, you see like the contemporary mansions, which are just like, it's like glass stairs and there's nothing on the walls, it's just blank, you know. But, but the, this, this, this mansion, it was, you, you go up about 10 feet, 10 foot ceilings, and, and there's about two feet of crown molding. Most of us have like trim work in our house right along the door. Yeah, if you're real fancy, you got crown molding, right? It's even fancier. It's about twice as, as thick as the normal trim stuff. Um, 
so you go up about 10 feet. They got about two feet of crown molding. And then from there on up, it's just ornament, hand-carved ornamental details. And, and, I, and I, I was thinking back to that. And you got to remember that in that mansion that you're going to get, I, I'd like to, this is just my sanctified imagination, I'd like to think that when I walk in those doors, there's going to be some carvings on the wall. There's going to be some murals. There's going to be some paintings, things like that. But, but what I want to see is not some, you know, carving of David and Goliath. No, what I want to see is, I want to see a, 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 a stone carving that Jesus Christ took the time himself to carve. And, and when you look at it, you start to, to, to see, wait a minute, this, this kind of seems familiar to me. And, and you stare at it more and you, and you realize, wait a minute, I, I remember that moment. I remember that point in my life. I was, I was at my absolute lowest. And Jesus Christ came by and he, he gave me some water from the Word of God and He nourished me and He helped me. I, re, I remember that time. I want to see stuff like that on that wall on, in our mansion. And honestly, I, I think quite possibly we will. This, this mansion that we're going to get is something personal. And Jesus Christ has spent 2,000 years building it. And quite frankly, it could be a lot longer than that because he is outside of time. So he could have spent a billion years making this thing and and we wouldn't know the difference. But um, I I just kind of, I hope that kind of, you know, gets your focus a little bit on on what's coming in the future. And I believe shortly. Um, So I just just hope, Christian, that you stick with them. You don't get discouraged and and you realize there's, uh, there's some some pretty amazing things on the horizon. We just need to be faithful. All right? Let's pray.